Hey everyone, and welcome to Bar Talk, the podcast of the North Carolina State Bar. I'm Peter Bolak, the Assistant Executive Director at the State Bar. And I'm Brian Oten, Director for Ethics and Special Programs. And we are here to give you yet another recap of a State Bar Council quarterly meeting. This is the recap of the April 2022 quarterly meeting, in which quite a few things happened. A lot uh, of stuff happened. We got a lot of, of items that to, to go over today, and some of them that we're just not going to get into the detail that we uh, wish that we could and, and, and that the, these issues merit. And so look for future podcasts to cover some of these other issues that we'll be talking about today. So briefly on the events front uh, from, from the meeting, we did have a number of events at, at the April meeting. We had uh, what is probably one of the best events of the year, which is the joint dinner between the State Bar, the Bar Association, and the Chief Justice's Commission on Professionalism. Right. We weren't able to do that in January due to that meeting being virtual, so we got together in April. The highlight of that meeting is is the uh, the presentation of the Chief Justice's Commission's Professionalism Awards. Uh, there were uh, a number of awards given this year because they, they did uh, two years worth. And so uh, we would love to congratulate um, Judge J.C. Cole, Judge Forrest Bridges, attorneys Deborah Foster, Jimbo Perry, and Rich Towers on their awards. And then posthumously, uh, the late great um, David Friedman was also uh, given a Chief Justice Commission Award, which meant a lot to us at the State Bar. Uh, we thought very highly of David as well. Absolutely. Um, so uh, in addition to, th- to that dinner, we had um, another great annual event, which is the 50-Year Lawyer Luncheon, in which lawyers who were admitted 50 years ago were, were honored, and, um, and, and judges and justices attended that event as, as President Jordan read the names and, and the uh, short bios of those 50-year lawyers, which is another great sight to see. Uh, and on Friday morning at the chief, at the uh, State Bar Council meeting, the Chief Justice attended and made remarks, uh, which we're always grateful for. Uh, Justice Newby being there for that, uh, continued to impress upon the courts to uh, be open and work on their backlogs. Um, COVID has certainly slowed a, a lot of courthouses down, and, and just the need to to get that moving so justice can be administered without delay. So we were excited to have the Chief there. And now let's go through kind of a recap of, of what the committees did and what the council did uh, this this quarter, Brian. And let's start it out with uh, some of the rule amendments that were that were worked on. That's right. We had a lot of activity uh, from a variety of fronts, uh, but one of the the biggest things that came out uh, from this quarter were the rule amendments, both amendments to the rules of professional conduct as well as administrative rule amendments, which we're going to get to in just a second. Uh, but uh, some of you uh, who are listening to this uh, uh, may remember that last quarter, we published some proposed amendments to rules 1.6 and 1.9 in the rules of professional conduct. These amendments dealt with uh, a lawyer's duty of confidentiality with regards to information that's in the public record. Uh, those amendments were published. We received some comments, um, generally supportive comments. You know, of course, there were some questions about how they would apply and and so forth. But the ethics committee took a look at all those comments uh, and ultimately voted to uh, approve 
the rules and send them on to the council for full adoption. Um, executive committee agreed, and ultimately the council did vote to adopt those rule amendments to rules 1.6 and 1.9, and they will transmit those amendments to the North Carolina Supreme Court. Just a quick reminder to everybody that any amendment, whether it's an administrative amendment or uh, an amendment to the rules of professional conduct, that has to go through the Supreme Court for final approval. Uh, so those will be transmitted to the court, uh, and we'll see uh, what the court has to say. Um, but we also had another amendment to the rules of professional conduct that was proposed, it was discussed, debated, uh, and ultimately voted to be published this quarter. Uh, so I would encourage everybody to take a look at that State Bar Journal, go on the State Bar's website, because you're going to see an amendment to Rule 1.19. And some of you may not really be familiar with that rule because it's never really come up in your practice. Let's hope not. Right. <laughs> rule 1.19 deals with the prohibition uh, on lawyers having sex with their clients. Now, I want to preface all this and say that this proposed amendment is not the product of state bar staff just being bored and deciding to tinker with the rules. Uh, We're the, not a bunch of prudes no, sitting here. No, no, no. The uh, but but really, this this rule amendment um, is the product of really an unfortunate increase in reports of inappropriate sexual communications between lawyers and clients. So this rule, currently the rule uh, prohibits sexual activity between lawyer and client. This rule amendment expands the scope of the rule to prohibit also sexual communications between a lawyer and client. Now, those of you may kind of hear that right now and think, well, my goodness, could that be, that might be very broad and, and what exactly uh, is this rule prohibiting? I would encourage you to take a look at the text. This thing was vetted by uh, members of the council that sat on both the grievance committee and the ethics committee. Um, we took a look at a, a, a number of different drafts and, and really tried to craft the language to be sure that we're addressing the conduct, the inappropriate conduct that has been reported to the bar uh, and in a way that's going to effectively uh, address the the situation. So um, I would encourage you all to take a look at that that rule. If you have comments on the rule, you think it's good, you think it's bad, you just want to say, I can't believe you actually have to put this in writing, feel free to send your comments at ethicscomments at ncbar.gov. Every single uh, comment, all the feedback submitted will be considered by the ethics committee and the uh, really the full council. And if you're going to send those comments in, you know, don't attach any um inappropriate pictures to it right right I no know, no if, emojis if you're wondering either. the ideas that you know the the what the what this rule is about think think uh think text messages in which uh you know people send something that nobody wants to see right 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 uh, yeah unsolicited uh sorts of uh, communications are just that's just inappropriate of course the rule would really only prohibit those types of communication in the lawyer client relationships. So, you know, I guess theoretically somebody could send something totally inappropriate to us and they're not violating the rule, but I would yeah. still encourage you not to do that. Please. Yeah. Cause remember everything that comes to the bar is public record That's unless right. there's an exception. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> so, so with that said, uh, moving on, let's talk about the other big rule amendment that was proposed. Peter, this is your territory because there are some sweeping changes proposed for the continuing legal education program of the North Carolina State Bar. Yeah, this is a big one, guys. This is uh, this is going to be something that we have a separate podcast to really go over in detail. But after a, a, a multi-year study, uh, the CLE board has proposed some pretty massive changes to the CLE rules and how, how lawyers are going to have to stay compliant with CLE uh, in North Carolina. 
Uh, some of the biggest changes, uh, just as a, as a quick a quick list, are the increasing of the reporting period from one to three years. So instead of 12 hours in one year, lawyers are going to have three years to do 36 hours. You know, we think this gives lawyers more flexibility to take courses at their own pace. Certainly, also it you know eases some administrative burden on the CLE staff if we uh, stagger it in a way that there's only one third of lawyers who are due every year. Uh, the elimination of the annual report requirement, another good benefit we think for lawyers is that uh, if our system it says a lawyer is compliant with, with their CLE, then why do they have to submit a, a form to say that the system is right? So we think this will allow the, you know, the, the focus to be on those who are not complying and instead of dinging lawyers who are a couple days late uh, clicking a button or submitting a form. Uh, changing the, the fee structure from a, a attendance fees that are, you know, per hour that nobody likes to have to pay these little 12 to 15 dollar uh, invoices from the state bar every year uh, to an annual attendance fee uh, that would be paid in your dues uh, dues renewal period you'd pay a one-time fee every year and uh, sponsors would pay a course application fee instead of having uh, hours based attendance fees i think it's important to note that that annual fee is uh, at least right now it's thought to be it, it will be less than what lawyers normally pay when they have to pay all what three fifty for for twelve hours. That's right. You know, it, you, law, some lawyers might not realize it because they pay it as part of their um, signing registration for a course. But uh, every hour that that a lawyer takes is is assessed a three dollars and fifty cent charge at the moment. And so the ABA when they look at what states what the cost of practice is for any particular lawyer, they, they count in North Carolina $42 because it's, it's 12 times 350. What, what the CLE board is likely going to propose as an annual fee is something like $25. So this would be a reduction in that, and we'd hope that sponsors would also uh, show a, a equal reduction in their cost to, since they're not covering those attendance fees for every lawyer. Uh, the uh, one of the trade-offs that that is going to come with the increased reporting period is the elimination of the grace period for lawyers and uh, and also the elimination of the carryover credit. And so, you know, some lawyers who want to build up all those hours so they are always a year ahead. Well, now you have three hour three years to do your hours, so we don't we don't need to have that build up anymore. Or you have two weeks to do three years worth of CLE. Well, you know, there's going to be some lawyers that that wait and then realize that they have to do 36 hours in the, in February. But uh, I'm just asking you know, for a friend, just so we're clear. We're just trying to give everybody uh, the freedom and liberty to to make their own choices and 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 try not to protect, have to protect you from yourselves. <laughs> um, so, th I mean, in, in doing this, we, we hope to be able to increase the enforcement on those who are not staying compliant, but uh, giving more freedom and flexibility that, to those who always do remain compliant. We're going to have a lot more information on the CLE rules in, a, in a, another podcast, and, and I'll be out promoting these rules to various organizations and on videos and, and with some um, virtual meetings where people can ask questions while they're in the publication period here over the next three months. So Brian, uh, in addition to the rule amendments, we also had uh, three ethics opinions uh, published and one ethics opinion adopted. If you'll just uh, quickly go uh, through those and then we'll break a, a couple of those down. Right, right. So uh, one opinion was adopted. This is an opinion that was 
that was published after the January meeting, 2022 FEO1, which deals with an attorney uh, who is appointed both uh, as a guardian ad litem as, and as the attorney advocate. Uh, if that affects your practice area, I would encourage you to take a look at that, uh, that particular opinion um, as we try to offer some guidance and really address the different conflicts of interest that come up in that particular situation. Um, but the ethics committee uh, had a, a, a robust discussion uh, this, uh, this past quarter and ultimately published three different opinions, three new opinions. Uh, and uh, I really want to talk about two of them. The first one is proposed 2022 FEO2, which deals with limited representation in a criminal matter. Yeah. So, I, Brian, this is an interesting one. Um, you know, from, uh, we gather uh, we, you know, some reports and hearing from uh, people across the state who are practicing, you know, uh, a lawyer might want to uh, step in and, and, and represent a client on a you know particular uh, portion of, of their matter of their criminal matter, but uh, maybe doesn't want to take on the whole case. Um, you know, how does a lawyer do this, especially if, if that uh, that client is is represented by an, an appointed counsel? Right, right. And this is this was something that I have to say was was an interesting topic, not just because of the ethics issues involved, but because we heard different responses from different parts of the state um, as far as how their county has reacted to that. Some counties reacted very poorly to a lawyer stepping in and trying to do limited representation, particularly, say, uh, represent somebody only in a bond hearing uh, while the, the the criminal defendant had already been appointed, uh, somebody from the public defender's office. Um, other parts of the state thought this was great because it actually alleviated some of the, the work and the stress that the public defenders uh, were facing. So um, we were trying to find a balance. And ultimately, uh, this opinion uh, really kind of tries to, to advise folks that, hey, if you're going to engage in this type of limited representation, the rules do allow it. But limited representation is only permissible if it's reasonable under the circumstances. And the opinion kind of talks about what those circumstances are, what a lawyer should consider in determining whether or not they can actually step in in this very limited fashion, particularly when you're dealing with an indigent uh, client um, and you know perhaps the, the ramifications of your, your limited representation and being retained privately for a very limited purpose. Uh, you know, in some uh, counties and uh, different parts of the state, we, we heard that some judges would look at that and say, well, you're no longer indigent because you retain somebody, um, whereas some other uh, counties were, were not really uh, looking at it that, uh, uh, that closely. So, um, so ultimately, I think it's, uh, it's a good opinion to, to just kind of offer some guidance for what seems to be a kind of a, a common situation, really an increasing uh, situation in criminal representation. Again, if you have some sort of thoughts on this opinion, we'd love to hear it. Ethics comments at ncbar.gov. And Brian, you know, I, I'm, I admit to being uh, naive to this, and, and I'm sure some people might have the question, you know, in North Carolina, is, is there a requirement that a lawyer has to, you know, uh, make a motion to withdraw from the case if, if they come in in limited re representation? Right. Is a is lawyer potentially going to get stuck in there? Right, right. And, you know, and that's that's something we, we discussed uh, a fair amount in the subcommittee. You know, the this is where we have a bit of a difference between criminal and civil. Uh, representation. Civil, you've got that general rule of practice that says you can't get out unless the court lets you out. 
right? Uh, you have to, to file that motion to withdraw and get the court's permission to, to actually withdraw. Criminal, there is a statute out there. It's in 15A that does allow limited representation as long as that's been communicated to the court that essentially you are stepping in as the attorney for this defendant in a limited fashion. And really the statute contemplates that if you have fulfilled your responsibilities in that limited fashion, you can withdraw uh, without the court's permission. Um, otherwise, you know, there is still a requirement to get court permission uh, in other contexts in a criminal representation. But but criminal does have a little bit of a, an exception there that makes it different from civil litigation. So that's where um, this opinion, again, tries to offer some guidance to, to lawyers that, that might want to engage in this uh, particular uh, type of representation. Yeah, I really, really encourage you to check this out if this is an area in which you might uh, find yourself at some point. Uh, the, the, these proposed rules will be in the journal or the proposed opinions will be in the journal and, and online and, and we'll try to get these out in, in other ways as well. Brian, let me set the scene up for this for this other opinion that we're going to chat about. You know, in addition to there being there was formal ethics opinion three, which is a very narrow opinion related, uh, you know, not necessarily related to uh, the, the, the full bar that, that um, you know, lawyers are probably going to want to take a take a look at. But Formal ethics opinion four is, is one I want to spend the, a little bit of time on, which is um, billing considerations for overlapping legal services. So let me let me set the, the stage and ask you this question. So let's say that I'm uh, I'm representing a, a client in which I have to fly out to Chicago to take a deposition, and in the my agreement with the client is that the client's uh, got to pay for my travel time. So the tr- the client's going to be paying you know, $150 an hour for the time that I have to travel to Chicago for this deposition. But I'm sitting on my flight, and I've got this time, and and this plane uh, has free Wi-Fi, and I've got a chance to do some work. And so I knock out, I knock out three, three hours uh, for a different client on that flight. Um, You know, when it comes time to bill these hours, you know, I've, I'm, I'm, can I collect from both client A for my travel time and for the three hours that maybe I, I did for client B? That is a fantastic question. And it's one that I think the bar as a whole had a very common answer of, no, you can't do that um, for a long time. But it seems that question of, or the answer being no, has been called into question. Uh, recently, the ultimate answer from this opinion is no, you can't. Um, the The reason is that really, when you are billing your client, you need to provide an honest accounting of your time. So if you are really doing work for two different clients, uh, you're increasing your efficiency in providing legal services. That efficiency is not something that you, the lawyer, can use to benefit your bank account. Instead, the efficiency needs to be passed on to your client. So in that particular situation, uh, you know, my advice would be uh, that you need to uh, figure out a way that, that kind of accounts for the, the proper proportion of work that you've done in that situation. I might suggest something like splitting uh, the fee, halving the fee for the travel time for client A and halving the fee for the legal work that you've completed for client B. But ultimately, you know, if you build, let's say, you know, you're on that, that flight for three hours and you've done three hours of travel and, and, and two hours of work, uh, you can't bill five hours of work to have occurred in three actual hours. That would be 
false. It'd be misleading. And so that's where the opinion sets out uh, clearly uh, that, uh, that that is something that, that's not permitted by the rules, uh, both you know in terms of charging a clearly excessive fee, uh, making false or misleading statements about your services, or just engaging in, in dishonest conduct. And I have to add that you know this um, opinion and this conclusion is something that really is shared across the board uh, in, in other jurisdictions. The ABA opined on this back in, I believe it was 1993, uh, and a number of other uh, jurisdictions have joined in that, uh, in that particular conclusion. The state bar here uh, has advised folks, you can't do that for a very long time. But like I said, uh, there's been kind of an increase in question about this and maybe even some pushback on, on the reasoning here. So the Ethics Committee wanted to make a, a definitive statement of what a lawyer can can and cannot charge, and really particularly uh, to say that any efficiency that you create by being able to accomplish work for both clients or multiple clients at once needs to be passed on to the client. Well, and it makes sense that there's a a new question about this as technology is advanced in a way to let you do multiple things at the same time. Um, You know, is this going to be the same situation if I'm... uh, if I'm having to go to calendar call on Monday uh, for three or four different clients and I'm billing them, uh, you know, for each hour that I have to sit at calendar call, uh, how do I how do I deal with the fact that, you know, um, I've got four clients and, you know, I can't bill them all right for for all day that I'm sitting at calendar call. That's that's correct. If you're if you're dealing with uh, you've got four different clients that you're appearing uh, at court for during calendar call and, and all four get called within that first hour. You, you spend 60 minutes uh, at that uh, at, or in that courtroom. Uh, you cannot bill four hours of work for each of those clients. You would have to essentially uh, quarter that one hour. Um, again, it needs to be an honest accounting of, of the work that you've completed. You've done an hour's worth of work, not four hours worth of work in one hour. Um, and so because you've created that efficiency by appearing uh, on behalf of four different individuals, that efficiency needs to be passed on to the clients. Is it is it fair to say, Brian, there's really no situation in which you should be able to bill more work than the actual hours of the day? I think that's fair to say, yes. Okay. Well, that's an easy rule to follow. Right. Um, th- again, check out these opinions. I think that uh, I would hope that you would agree with, with, these, with these opinions. I, I, they make a lot of logical sense to me. Uh, but you might uh, disagree, and I think that the Ethics Committee would be uh, very interested in hearing your opinions about this and any comments you guys might have. Uh, again, that, that uh, email address for those comments, Brian, is? Ethicscomments at ncbar.gov. All right. So that takes us out of the ethics opinion uh, area and the ethics uh, process. We'll get back and, and give you the scoop on the random audit uh, for, the, for the quarter here um, at the end to make you wait for it a little bit. But let's talk about uh, the issues committee, which was another place in which we had a, a lot of action this quarter. Again, probably more than what we can cover in this podcast, and so uh, maybe we can get some additional podcasts or additional information out. Uh, the, the biggest uh, uh, the item that had the most action this quarter in the Issues Committee was uh, actions uh, taken from recommendations of the Diversity and Inclusion Subcommittee. And they, uh, there were a number of recommendations from that subcommittee, who, who, which had been meeting uh, for well over a year, and, uh, you know, we'll just kind of summarize these uh, very quickly. Um, Brian, there was, a, there was a diversity statement that the Issues Committee and subsequently the 
uh, ex- executive committee and the council uh, agreed to. That's right. And and the, the statement um, is one that, that will be published in the State Bar Journal, will be put on the State Bar's website, um, something that, you know, again, was, uh, was crafted by the subcommittee, but also um, the content was really formed by the entire council um, in this process. And so I uh, would encourage everybody to, to take a look at that. And these, this committee had some great debate and really uh, took these matters seriously. And there were some close votes in, in some areas, and, and most, but most areas also were uh, ended up being unanimous. There, there, in addition to the statement, there was uh, action to incorporate uh, diversity education into the State Bar Council's orientation, uh, analyze the State Bar's kind of internal policies as it relates to uh, DEI, uh, making sure that that we have opportunities at, at all levels here in North Carolina, especially here on staff and in in the council. Um, demographic questions, you know, maybe it's time for us to start uh, collecting some demographic information to allow us to make sure that uh, you know we are inclusive and that we are acting without bias here at the bar. Um, uh, recognizing some uh, Juneteenth. Juneteenth and other state holidays, uh, you know, not necessarily as paid time off, but as re- you know, recognition of other state holidays, uh, making sure that everyone has access to the state bar's resources and public protection programs, whether that's you know, multi different different types of languages or or disabilities, uh, to be able to access our resources. Uh, and then uh, I, I, I've got to tell you guys, um, uh, well, um, something unprecedented yeah, happened. Unprecedented. It's probably. Uh, <laughs> The first time that this has ever happened, I've read the minutes of the bar for a long time. I've never seen this uh, come up, and, and it's really it was it was it was just one of those perfect moments of awkwardness and um, and then that led to some comedy. And so there was uh, there was one of the recommendations was to, you know was just to continue the work of the subcommittee. There was some discussion on how we would do that, and certainly some disagreement on how this would all work, and some other suggestions. And so by the time that the the vote got called, uh, I don't think anybody had any clue where they wanted to go on it. And so there was a vote for uh, and vote in favor, no votes, and there was a vote uh, against the motion no votes. And so the, the, the motion, the recommendation failed for lack of getting a majority. And yes. it was just, just, uh, just a zero special. to zero yeah. vote. That's I've never seen that at the state bar. No. And uh, a bunch of lawyers in the room with opinions and we couldn't get a single vote on either right, side. Right, right. Uh, <laughs> um, so it was, uh, you know, and, and then finally, there was cert- there was a recommendation to look at the history of the state bar, uh, you know, uh, the full history of the bar, uh, warts and all, good and bad, and, and and try to come up with some sort of written history of the bar and figuring out how to get that funding so we're not necessarily using lawyer dues t- to do that history. That's right, um, Brian. There was a there was you know at least uh, the, we ran out of time, but we started to talk a little bit about the regulatory change recommendations. Right, and this has been um, pending for for a while now, and it's going to continue into July or at the July 2022 council meeting. Uh, but the subcommittee that was appointed to study regulatory change uh, issued its report to the issues committee 
uh, back in January. And like Peter said, we were trying to talk about it at the April meeting, but simply ran out of time. Uh, there was a little bit of discussion. Uh, and uh, the um, chair of that subcommittee, Mark Enriquez, uh, attorney from Charlotte. Noted podcast host. Noted, noted podcast host. Uh, but he uh, he presented the the report, but had to do it in a, in a, in a rather um, hurried way because we were running out of time. And I think it was very clear based upon the discussion that ensued that you know, additional conversation needed to be had about these very complex uh, issues surrounding access to justice and regulatory change, namely, you know, how we regulate the bar. And the big question being, you know, are the current regulations inhibiting lawyers from evolving their practice and, and potentially, of course, then inhibiting the ability of the public to access legal services in a meaningful way. So we're going to continue talking about that at the July meeting. Uh, hopefully we'll have an update for you all after, uh, after that meeting. Thank you, Brian. Let's wrap this up with the uh, with the details you've all been waiting for. The Grievance Committee met, uh, and here are the results. The Grievance Committee met this quarter and dismissed 115 files. They continued four files. They referred one lawyer to the Lawyer Assistance Program. They referred three lawyers to the Trust Accounting Compliance Program. They issued 12 letters of warning, four admonitions. Those are uh, those are private discipline. They issued four reprimands and one censure. Uh, both public written discipline, and then referred nine cases to the Disciplinary Hearing Commission for for trial on whether a uh, you know potential uh, suspension or disbarment of that lawyer. That's right, um, and we have some random audit information. Yeah, wrap, wrap us up with some of the wh- where are we going this quarter? Uh, so this next quarter, uh, the judicial district selected for the random audit. District 8, composed of Edgecombe, Nash, and Wilson counties, and District 28, composed of Montgomery and Stanley counties. So if you are listening to this podcast and you are a member of those local judicial districts, you may be hearing from the State Bar's random auditor this next quarter. Well, that's uh, going to do it for yet another great quarter here of at the North Carolina State Bar. Uh, again, we we handle a lot of items this quarter. They're going to the council is going to be getting together in, in July to do it all again. And after that meeting, Brian and I'll be back here to recap it for you. Look for some podcasts in the interim to go over the CLE rules and, and potentially cover some other items that uh, that we didn't have time to get into a lot of detail on here today. And uh, we hope you'll tune in again and, and keep keep joining us here on Bar Talk.